welcome to Facing Cancer Together, a podcast of the cancer support community, Greater Philadelphia, with your hosts, CEO Kelly Harris and Rodney Warner. Thank you for joining us uh, for Facing Cancer Together with me, Rodney Warner, and Kelly Harris. And uh, today's guest is Justin Pilchman who's an attorney based in Newtown, Pennsylvania. And we thank you very much for, uh, for being on the show today, Justin. Oh, of course, I'm um, happy to be here, happy to help out. Why don't you give yourself a little intro? Why don't you tell us about yourself? Sure, sure. so I am a uh, Newtown, Pennsylvania resident, grew up in Bucks County, went to some of the local schools here at Newtown, uh, Newtown Friends School, and then I went to high school in New Jersey, played all the local sports and, and all that fun stuff. I uh, went to college up in Bethlehem, so I've kind of stayed around Pennsylvania area my my entire life, but I went to college at Moravian College up in Bethlehem and uh, got to play some baseball up there, which was which was fun and got to feed my uh, competitive nature. And thereafter, I went to law school at Temple, graduated from Temple in 2018. Um, I worked in the city for a few years, mostly working for an employment law firm, handling a lot of discrimination cases, cases of uh, disability discrimination, all based in the workplace. Recently, I made my way back out here to Newtown, to my hometown, an opportunity arose here at Stuckert and Yates, uh, which has been a sort of a fixture in Newtown. Been here since 1902, so we've uh, certainly established a good reputation. And since I've started, you know, I've really developed my practice to include a lot of things, the, the most of which I would say is my estate planning practice, you know, helping individuals establish um, documents that will serve, you know, when they're in situations of, of health concerns or eventually, you know, when they pass. You know, my practice also includes, you know, a lot of other areas, um, you know, family law, still do a lot of the employment law and contracting work. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, you know, now, now I'm back in Newtown, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm happy to be sort of in my, in my comfort zone here in my hometown. So what is estate planning? The basic concept of estate planning is drafting documents that essentially plan for certain contingencies. It allows someone the freedom and control over over yourself and your assets when certain situations like health emergencies occur um, or when somebody's life path, you know, life ends. And, and really what I tell people is absent these documents, that's another stress on your family. Um, it's certain decisions that you were able to make time when you're competent at a time when you, you know, have, have the mind capacity to make certain decisions, and, you know, and we'll get into the individual documents themselves, but that's sort of the general overview of the concept of estate planning. What are some of the documents that, you right. know, somebody dealing with cancer or their loved one is dealing with cancer? My understanding, estate planning could be any number of things for, for any number of people. But generally speaking, yeah. you know, if, if, if someone who's, who's being treated for cancer walked into your office, what would be your suggestions as, as where they should, what they should do? One of the main documents, and, and you kind of branch these into a few different categories, but is a power of attorney. And what, very generally, what a power of attorney does, it allows the principal, the individual who, who comes into my office, it allows that person to designate someone else uh, to make certain decisions on their behalf, should they be in a situation where they can't make 
those decisions for themselves. The way my office generally handles powers of attorney and the way I generally handle powers of attorney is I I split it into two categories. The first being financial durable power of attorney. This allows you to designate somebody to be able to operate certain accounts, draw checks in your behalf, sign documents, uh, make real estate decisions, operate business interests. And, and for somebody who, who has cancer, one of the things you want to be cognizant of, I'm sure, is what happens if I'm not in a position where I can make certain financial decisions on my behalf? What, you know, absent this document, certain people can't, you know, if I'm, if I'm running a business and, and I'm not able to make, you know, certain business decisions, if, if somebody doesn't have that power of attorney, then, you know, we're sort of in, in a uh, area of, of not being able to make decisions. This power of attorney can be durable and it can be general. You know, you can make it as specific or as general as you want. You can say, you know, I, get, I designate, you know, Rodney Warner to make certain decisions based on my business. It could be as specific as that. And you can name the business. You can say, you know, here are the powers specifically that I'm giving to Rodney. Or it could be general. It could say, you know, a lot of times I throw the kitchen sink in my, in my powers of attorneys to allow a person designated as the agent to make um, a lot of different decisions. The way the documents can be drafted is either, you know, the, 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 power, the, the power that you designate could apply at the time of signing, or it could spring into action um, upon some triggering event. But, so by way of example, you know, somebody comes in my office and they want to give you know, their spouse their power of attorney. A lot of times, and that's probably most often, um, they give reciprocal power of attorneys to each other. They could say, look, this is going to apply now. Um, you know, obviously I could still make decisions on my own, but if I can't, this other individual can make those decisions. Or it could be what's called a springing power of attorney, which doesn't actually kick in until some triggering event like somebody has, you know, is incapacitated health-wise. That sort of takes care of the one area of the financial aspect of a power of attorney. The second power of attorney that, that people generally, generally refer to as the medical power of attorney. And I think for your members in your community, this is something that, that individuals certainly um, want to think about because it's understandable that, that these individuals are, are going through chaotic health and life experiences. And the general concern is you want to be able to make decisions medically on your own behalf um, however, that's not always possible. There, there are situations where you are incapacitated or, you know, you're, you're not able to have, you know, the capacity to make certain medical decisions. And what a medical power of attorney allows you to do is to designate somebody else to make decisions in your best interest, of course. Um, and this document protects your medical interests. And it also allows what I, what I tell people as well is, is it allows the person you designate to receive medical information on your behalf. It actually gets around certain HIPAA laws. It, it allows them to correspond with doctors and, and employ doctors or talk to nurses uh, about your medical condition. So, so that's sort of the first sort of big category um, of areas that, that I always suggest for any individual um, and certainly an individual who's, who's going through um, you know, a health condition. You know, as far as these powers of attorney, if you're married under state law, your spouse will will make those decisions. But it's a good idea to have these documents anyways, and especially if you aren't married, or if for some reason maybe you're going yeah. through a divorce, or maybe your your wife you know, travels a lot on business. So, so that might be a thing to think about. Sure, and, and a lot of times, look, a lot of times people just think that 
it's difficult to nominate family member because decisions may be made more on emotion than they are on you know rational you know uh, you know an actual rational decision making family members like to designate their children um, as their powers of attorney which is which is fine and which is common but the the one of the issues that you reminded me of rodney is if i nominate you know you nominate your two children the difficulty is if you nominate if you jointly nominate two individuals what happens if they disagree what happens if you know th- there's an argument that's why i always tell people really consider who you're nominating. And, you know, in my office, I often discuss this with clients and, and really kind of get to the root of, of um, who is in the best position to make certain decisions. And a lot of times that's different. Look, um, you know, if, if my son is a, is a financial advisor, um, I probably want to nominate him for the, for the uh, you know, the, the financial power of attorney, right? Whereas if my daughter is in healthcare, you know, I'd like her to probably make some of the medical decisions. So it's really a matter of trust and who you're, who you are really conveying this, this power to. You know, the issue with the, with the agent is you really need to trust the person to make the decisions that you want them to make. If, you know, if you want certain healthcare decisions to be made and they may be very difficult decisions, sure. you need to find somebody with the intestinal fortitude to decide that no, we're not going to do any anything, any life saving. We're not going to do right. any extraordinary measures, right. and that may be in a, a terrible decision for somebody to make. But sure. it's something that the person wants. I have a friend of mine whose whose husband had a heart attack. He became severely disabled. He was on you know all kinds of machines she knew that was not right for her husband and she signed all the paperwork and all the machines eventually went away. Right. And he passed away and she said she was in counseling for quite a while because of that, because that was really tough for her. And another thing is with the financial stuff, you need to find somebody who's not only competent and good with numbers, but feel secure that they're not going to line their pockets. (laughs) Right. No, which, which unfortunately can happen. Absolutely. And, you know, unfortunately there's a whole branch of of law that's, that's dedicated towards um, nefarious, uh, you know, actions by, by people who, you know, were entrusted with, with some power. Um, Now, now something you reminded me of, and that sort of brings me to uh, a next kind of big document that, that um, you know, our office generally drafts. And a lot of times this is combined with a medical power of attorney is what's called the advanced directive. And a lot of times also people refer to that as a living will. And what this document is, is it's basically the individual making certain health elections, should they become uh, severely incapacitated or in an end stage condition. Um, it's basically, you know, a lot of times the documents are drafted mostly towards, I would rather have, uh, more palliative care and more, uh, comforting care rather than, you know, all efforts made for life sustaining treatment. And there's certain elections that you can make should you become in, in a vegetative state or, um, a situation where a doctor is basically deeming you as having no realistic hope of recovering. Um, these elections can include certain, you know, do not resuscitate or um, certain hydration and then blood transfusions and, and dialysis treatment. And it's important to have this document for one of the reasons you were talking about, Rodney, is, is 
these are extremely emotional decisions that you don't really want to put you ideally would not have to put in the hands of somebody uh, somebody else um you don't want to put that in you know your wife's hand or or your kid's hand this document is basically saying these are my decisions that i made when i was competent and these are what what it is that i would like and the documents can be drafted in a couple different ways you know I, I know on some of our forms we allow for an election of basically on the advanced directive itself it says well my healthcare agent either must follow these directions to a t or um, they can use this as a guideline. And a lot of times people ask me, they say, well, what do most people um, normally select? And I certainly don't want to sway their decision, but I, I, you know, a lot of people have the mindset of, again, I don't want my spouse to have to make that decision. I want to make that decision now and say, look, they have to follow this document because that is, that is my, uh, that's my autonomy. That's, that's my, um, you know, th this is my uh, decision making. People need to understand that when when the physician is is in this situation and 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 you're the patient that's in the bed you know neither of these documents really kicks in unless you've lost the ability absolutely. to make decisions this isn't absolutely you know somebody can't walk into the hospital room and wave this paper around and right. and contradict what you want done you know you're not right. and you're only you're only signing away the ability to make decisions when you can't make decisions Exactly. It's not, it's not me, you know, uh, you know, bruising my ankle and going to the, to the hospital. And then, you know, somebody can wave and say, you know, I'm making this decision on his behalf. You know, it, no, these documents really only kick in when it's in that end stage um, situation where nobody has a realistic possibility of, of um, you know, recovery. So tell us about wills. What are, what are wills? What do they do? Sure. What good do they do? Sure. So um, a will very generally is, is basically somebody's um, allocation of their assets um, once they pass away. Um, it's, a, it's a legal document that is saying that upon my death, I am giving my property to, you know, a, a number of individuals or to, um, you know, where my property, where my personal property, physical um, or real estate property is going to go. And it's important to it's important to kind of know the reason why you know there's a legal document that says this. It's if somebody passes without having a will, the way their property passes is through state regulations, what's called intestacy law, which essentially is a process that that takes much longer um, and is much less certain. And it and it really is just a formula. It's it, it's saying, look, if you're married to your spouse, she's you know your, your spouse is going to get X percent. Um, and, and here is how the rest of the assets flow. And again, it's a long process. A lot of times it's a lot of uncertainty because the person who passed away never expressed how they want their property to pass. And the reason why we have wills is this document is essentially somebody laying out exactly what they want to happen to their property. It allows you to define certain relationships in your family as well. You know, I had a situation with a couple recently that both had uh, children from other marriages, and then I think they had one or two children together. And it was kind of complicated because, look, there's biological children, there's stepchildren, and there's, you know, children that they have together. And now in this situation, you know, they wanted to say, look, all five of these children are our children, and we're going to define it in our will. They're all our children. We're going to treat them all the same way. If that wasn't in somebody's will, you know, it'd be kind of difficult going through intestacy and trying to figure out those relationships. So it's important 
that, you know, in all my wills, I kind of define the relationships to family members, even, even getting as specific as dates of birth and everything to make sure that there's no issues there. When you go further down in the will, it, there's how property is distributed. Uh, for instance, I give everything, you know, I give, uh, you know, my, my house to my wife, I give, uh, you know, my, my rental, uh, you know, my rental properties to my children, my car to, you know, my friend, it, it really allows you to get very either, you know, as specific or as general as you'd like, but it gives some succession of property and how property is going to be passing to other individuals. And it's important to note as well is there are certain contingencies that are written into all of, of my wills. And, and, and generally, you know, if attorney drafts your wills, there's, there's going to be contingencies, for instance, um, if I am giving property to John, what happens if John passes away before I do? Um, the will will have contingencies if, if in fact that situation happens and it'll have catch-all provisions and it'll have situations so that the property is going to go somewhere regardless of, of, of the situations, you know, once somebody passes away. It also is important to note that there is certain property that would not pass through a will. Most notably, these are like IRAs, certain, certain accounts that have designated beneficiaries through financial institutions. And it's important to note for um, the members that if they have brokerage accounts or IRAs or pensions, um, retirement accounts, 401ks, that they should make sure that whatever the financial institution that's handling those accounts, that they make sure that their beneficiaries are up to date. Because if, if not, again, it's, it's dependent on the policy itself, but, but you want to make sure that, you know, there, there's a succession there as well. And that's sort of, ap, you know, aside from the will. Now, going back, back to the will, um, you know, like I said, there's certain contingencies that are, that are baked in. Um, there's also provisions for certain catastrophic events. And the will also allows you to name what's called an executor. And the executor is essentially the person that is nominated or appointed to uh, distribute the assets, to collect the assets, get get an inventory of, of what is in somebody's estate, actually be the one that's that's allocating those assets pursuant to the will. Um, again, this, this executor needs to be somebody that you trust, needs to be somebody that is able to manage, needs to be somebody who can be organized. And again, there's also contingencies with who that can, executor can be. And the will can also provide for other certain provisions. You know, if, if, if a beneficiary, you know, most of my wills have, if a beneficiary uh, has, a, has, a spe has special needs or um, is a minor, there's certain... Um, you know, trust that could be set up for those individuals, for their guardian to hold on to the property until they reach a certain age or until they're um, in, a, in a situation where they can receive that property. It also allows for certain guardianship provisions. Should you pass and should your spouse pass, um, who's going to take care of your kids? Um, that, that can also be uh, covered in a will. So there's a lot of different areas. Um, and the will is just so important because it, it's really just an expression of your interest again when you're when you're competent and when um you know two witnesses are, are there watching you sign it and then saying that this is um this is the individual's intention of course one of the things that an executor has to do is pay your bills and pay your taxes yeah. so right. just just because you list all this great stuff in your will doesn't mean it's necessarily going to go where you want it to go because you may have some serious bills you may have a lot of taxes so so sure. that needs yeah. to be taken care of before before anybody's yeah, going to get anything. Certainly. And that's part of the job. It's, it's, it's publishing 
the fact that this individual is deceased so that creditors also have their rights um, to certain portions of the of the estate. And again, there's certain expenses that are covered also in the will, you know, at the top of the will, essentially I say, you know, funeral expenses and everything will come sort of off the top of the estate. And again, these, these documents are sort of a general overlay. You know, these documents are difficult to think about, right? You know, they're, they're difficult to uh, even want to think about because you're thinking about, you know, very tragic events. But it's important to have those discussions with loved ones. It's important to sit down with an attorney and really, really be honest and, and really express your intentions so that you don't have to worry about that, that portion of thing. There's so many chaotic things um, that I'm sure individuals experience when they, when they get a diagnosis like cancer that, you know, you don't want to have to think about this other stuff to take care of this now and, and kind of focus on, on your health and, and, and everything else that's going on in life. Um, rather than having to worry about what's going to happen, you know, sh should a tragic event occur. You know, an important document, I think, is uh, something called a standby guardianship. Yeah. Because yeah. there's so many single parents. There's a lot of grandparents who are taking care of kids because, <laughs> you know, these the, the parents are out of the picture. Yeah. Maybe maybe they've got substance abuse issues. Maybe maybe they're in prison. Maybe they're just sure. they're just out of the picture for whatever reason. And yeah, so yeah. so so tell us about standby guardianships. Sure. So what a standby guardianship essentially is is an individual. It, it, it's a parent a legal parent designating a guardian for their children, conditioned on some kind of triggering event. Now, now what that actually means is that. A parent is saying, I, if something happens to me, um, for instance, if, if I'm incapacitated or if I pass away um, or if I'm, you know, outside of the state for a couple of weeks and, and, and nobody's heard from me, this individual can step in my shoes and take care of my kids and, and make certain, um, you know, elections for my kids and make sure that my kids are, are, are taken care of. Um, now, standby guardianship isn't isn't the same thing as, as, as a legal guardianship. You know, this this power reverts back, um, you know, once the parent regains their capacity um, or upon the passage of 60 days. Um, but it's important to have these because, again, there are situations where somebody could be incapacitated and, you know, their, their children are left without a decision maker. And normally, you know, I, I, I tell people, you know, again, of course, these are individuals that you trust. These are uh, you know, normally you're going to nominate aunts and uncles and uh, or, or very, very close family friends um, to, to step in these shoes. So so certainly, certainly a good document. I'm glad you brought that up. There's no shame in not having estate planning done. You know, my, my brother was diagnosed with cancer at age 44. Mm -hmm. He was uh, he was married. He had kids. He was an attorney. He had a house and they hadn't done any estate planning. So it was, yeah. it's, it's really not unusual. It, it really doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah, no, it, 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 it takes, it, it takes some thought. And, and the thing about estate planning, especially with a will, you're not just avoiding problems for yourself. You're avoiding problems for your family members, the people who are going to survive you because without some of these documents, you're making their lives potentially much more complicated. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up. And and as far as yeah, there's certainly no shame in 
not having these documents established. Look, I have I have a couple of new clients and they're they're in their 90s and they never had, you know, never even thought about this. Um, you know, and I've had, you know, I've had clients who have thought about it when, you know, as soon as they turn, you know, 21, right? So there's there's a wide range of individuals who, you know, at some point in their life think about these these documents. And like you said, it, it avoids certain conflict that could happen down the road. Um, things can get very ugly um, if there's a battle over who gets what under a will and, and through intestacy. And, um, you know, having that sort of codified in, in, in a legal document is so important. Um, and I think, you know, I think, Rodney, one, one of the things that, that, that people may be concerned about or may be, um, you know, hesitant about is meeting with lawyers. You know, a lot of people don't have a lot of experience with lawyers or, or what they uh, or their experiences are, are, are uh, shaped through, you know, TV shows or movies. Um, and, it, you know, inherently, I can understand that, that it might be um, an intimidating process, but I can assure you that, that any um, estate planning attorney has your best interests in mind because, because you know, we certainly, um, I, know, I know when I first started drafting estate planning documents, it's, it's, it's sort of, um, it, it's sort of an honor to do so. Um, because, you know, there's a really a lot of, it's very delicate subject. Um, and we take a lot of pride in making sure that these documents are as secure as they possibly can be and as updated as they can possibly be. Um, and we really do develop good relationships with our clients so that they know that, that look, the, the person who's drafting this will, will sit down and will review it with me and will review all, all the provisions. The way I, I handle my clients is, is essentially I, I send them a questionnaire. Um, that I get some background information from them. Um, I get to know, you know, what, an idea of their assets. Um, I get to know an idea of their family and, and I discuss, you know, their intentions. And then once I draft everything up, they, they receive a copy of the draft. We discuss it again then. And even before coming in and signing the documents, I sit down and I review the documents with them to make sure that, that, that that's their intentions. And every Every one of my clients leaves my office and, 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 you know, I tell them, look, if there's anything that needs to be changed, that's, that's not a difficult process. Um, you know, life circumstances change and, and uh, you know, uh, family relationships change and, and uh, you know, you know, uh, it's not atypical to not have a will. It's not atypical to change a will. Um, so, so these are very flexible documents that, that you know, you want to think about in certain um, times of your life. You know, and and it really doesn't matter what what income level you are, what how many resources you have. I mean, obviously, if someone is of low income, they don't have a house, they don't have a lot of assets. Then maybe a will isn't as important, but certainly the the powers of attorney are. And if you are of low income, there are local um, legal aid agencies. Yeah. If you if you fit into their into their qualifications, they will do this for free. And if yeah. you do have some money, there are attorneys like yourself who are not going to charge an arm and a leg. I mean, you're not, you're not, you don't have to sell your car to get an estate plan done. I mean, it's, right. it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's not, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, not yeah, that, it's, really not it's not that bad. So, so, and you there's know, a lot of organizations that, that, that do this. I know, um, you know, there's, there's a certain organization for firefighters and, and, uh, you know, emergency response uh, teams that, that offer free services as well. So um, it's really not, you know, an overly expensive process and, and, and attorneys will work with you 
Um, and, and, and again, it's something that, uh, you know, rip off the band-aid is the wrong word, but it, you know, it's, it's something that, that I think uh, everybody should, should consider. Um, especially on, on some of these triggering events that, that your members um, have unfortunately gone through. So what do you see as, as the pluses and minuses of somebody doing, pulling a form off the internet? Because I know that's, yeah. that's, that's very common. And it, 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 I, think it's, yeah. I think it's a very attractive option. But on the other hand, if, they're, if it's not done correctly, you're just potentially causing more problems. Right. And, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, there are, you know, I've had a lot of people actually come into my office and say, can you update my will? And they, and, you know, and they show me the, the form that they, that they printed out from, you know, legal zoom or something. And um, I, I think that those documents may be a starting point for you to look at and kind of say, you know, this is what it looks like. Um, the problem is you're not sitting down with somebody and actually having somebody explain to you what, every provision in those forms mean. And if they are good forms, they will have a good amount of provisions in them. And the other thing that it does not account for are, certain, are those contingencies that I, that I talked about. You know, if I'm giving something to John and John passes away before me, you know, what happens to the property? Does it go to John's kids? Does it go to uh, my kids? Does it go to, you know, it, it doesn't account, mostly those forms don't account for contingencies. You also don't know if those forms are up, up to date. Um, you know, there have been certain tax laws that have been passed recently that may not may not account may not be accounted for um, in those forms. And the the other problem is is, is the actual execution and, and the formal signing of the documents, both in substance of the wills that you're going to find and and the forms that you're going to find online, um, and the uh, actual execution of those documents are, are something that I think people may not realize the importance of and look i mean forms that you find online and if you if you find it online and you're able to fill that out yourself um a court could say look this is their intentions this is we're going to go by this document but again the the plus and minus of that i think i certainly think the dangers outweigh the uh benefits of of, of um uh, of going through that process rather than just calling um you know an attorney a local attorney that can that can just get this done for you in the proper way of course, one of the benefits of a will is you could leave assets behind for nonprofits like Cancer Support yeah. Community Greater Philadelphia. <clears throat> you know, it's 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 one way. You know, if you can't afford to support financially an organization during your life, you know, you may have saved enough. You may have enough left behind to provide for an organization after you pass away. Yeah, yeah, and I see that. I see that often. And a lot of times, uh, the wills that I draft will have sort of an ultimate, uh, an ultimate beneficiary. I mean, essentially, meaning somebody that look if if every contingency happens, and unfortunately, all of my beneficiaries pass before I do. Um, here's where I'd like my estate to go to, um, and I'm sure most people wouldn't want it to go just to the state of Pennsylvania, right? Um, so they, they do nominate certain organizations or, or schools or, or communities, um, uh, you know, so, so uh, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that as well. That's something that certainly can be accounted for in a will. I just wanted to comment. I think you guys have done a really good job of highlighting kind of both the emotional aspect of this as well as the practicality of it. You know, I think for our members, the challenge of possibly not surviving your 
your cancer uh, and having to include your family in that process is kind of an overlay of somebody who is healthy and just deciding to proactively put these things together. And I think we have to take the fear out of it. And, and I think you guys have really explained why it's so important for your family uh, to do this proactively. And I, I think that's a, a big piece. And, you know, we try to provide as much information as we can uh, through educational programs to people um, and through just general information. But I think it's something that just, you know, we need to keep repeating for people and, and have information available. So I, I think what you guys have presented was really helpful today. So why don't you uh, give us your, your contact information, Justin? So if somebody's sure. listening and wants to reach out, they can get a hold of you. Uh, Justin Pilchman, attorney at Stuckert & Yates. You can find us at Stuckert, S-T-U-C-K-E-R-T, Yates, Y-A-T-E-S, um, dot com. Um, my direct email is J, P as in Peter, I-L-C-H-M-A-N, at StuckertAndYates.com. Feel free to certainly... Um, email me. Um, I'm happy to talk to any members um, who just have questions about this stuff and, and just want to get an idea um, of what that process would be um, and, and how our office would handle that. Again, our office has been around for quite some time. Um, you know, all of our attorneys are, are more than happy um, to speak to speak with your members um, in, in a very, you know, not non, non-pressure situation. Um, so, all right, Justin, we, we greatly appreciate your time. And I think we're going we're gonna to bring this to a close. And, you know, I just want to thank everyone for listening. And if you can, subscribe to the podcast. Um, but once again, thank everybody for their time. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, Kelly. And until next episode, thank you very much. Thanks, Rodney and Kelly. Thank you for listening to Facing Cancer Together. Please subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss the next episode. If you want to learn more about the organization, our website is cancersupportphiladelphia.org.